So this morning, uh, I am uh, excited to invite two guest preachers to join us, and you know them well, Jessica Andes and Chris Wren. They are both serving on the session now, and both uh, have agreed to share some of their story. Uh, in, in considering this Sunday, uh, it was decided that we would use one of the lectionary texts. It's the Psalm of the Day. You know that uh, every Sunday there is a psalm for the church, and this is uh, today's psalm. This, you know, the psalm is really the church's first book of prayer before any other prayer book was written. And these prayers uh, uh, record the faith history of Israel, the, the living testimony of God with God's people. Uh, and so today's psalm is Psalm 77. It's a, uh, it begins really as a psalm of complaint uh, and questioning. A, a personal complaint, questioning what, what in the world is God up to? Where are you, God? Uh, and then it shifts to uh, reliance on memory, on the communal memory of the, of the faith community as they recall what God has done in the past. It's almost a credo, a, a statement of faith. And there's a shift in the language from, from me to you, from I uh, to you. And that, that shift means everything. There, so there is praise at the end of the psalm that helps make meaning of the pain at the beginning, but the pain keeps the praise honest and, and with integrity. And uh, we're, uh, I'm really glad that uh, Chris and Jessica have agreed to reflect on this psalm as they share some of their story. So let us listen now for God's word. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the days of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. Will the Lord reject forever? Will God never show favor again? Has God's unfailing love vanished forever? Has God's promises, promises fail? Do they fail for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has God in anger withheld compassion then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember the miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all of your works and consider your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. 
the very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water, the skies resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world, the earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints could not be seen. You, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I would like to invite Jessica and Chris to come up. Seven years ago, I thought I was moving to England. I had unintentionally stumbled on an opportunity to work as a librarian at a missions organization headquartered halfway between London and Oxford in a country manner, so basically my dream life, with the catch that there was no salary. So on a Tuesday night, I sat in the church parlor at Second Presbyterian Church in Bloomington, Illinois, and told my small group that I was thinking about moving to England for a job that didn't pay, and I couldn't decide if that was a crazy idea or not. At the time, we were praying a prayer book together when we gathered, and so my friend Elizabeth opened the prayer book and gave the night's Old Testament reading, which was from Isaiah 43. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? All eyes turned to me, and our leader Andrea said, you heard that right? You understand what just happened? Because y'all, we're good Presbyterians and we're decent and in order, and we don't say God told me very often. We leave that to our Pentecostal friends. But on that couch in Bloomington, Illinois, I don't know how to describe what happened except that God told me. Of course, here we are seven years later, and I don't live in England. Things fell through for reasons not particularly relevant here. And instead, a few months later, I took a promotion and I moved here to Jacksonville. A job at the same company I already worked for in the state that I had grown up in didn't particularly feel like a new thing. And so I was left wondering, God, what exactly are you doing? What is this new thing? So while I can't quite identify with the utter dejection of the psalmist in Psalm 77, I can certainly identify with the bewilderment in the sense of, where is God? What is God up to? And why does it seem like God made a promise and then just left it hanging out there? I understand his feeling of, you know, things are changing, but I don't get what's changing, and I can't quite see my way to the end of it. So seven years after my non-move to England, I find myself in yet another season of change and transition. <clears throat> Within the next six months or so, um, I'm losing my job at the company that I've worked at for nearly eight years, the company I moved here with. Um, I'm going to move into a new house somewhere here in Jacksonville, but I have no idea where. Um, and I'm marrying the very handsome man back by the Daniel window. It's mostly good change that's coming for me. But even good change, you know, it has that low-level buzz of anxiety. I want to know how it's all going to play out. Is God going to be faithful in these new things? And I sense that as a community at Riverside, we also are collectively feeling that little anxiety buzz. We've lost our good shepherd for 14 years, 
and we're pretty sure everything's going to be fine, right? But there's still that tinge of nervousness. We're somewhere in the middle, and we know where we're headed, but we can't quite see the end of the road yet. So here in the middle of the road, I really appreciate our friend the psalmist. This is one of 12 psalms that's attributed to a man named Asaph. Um, We don't totally know who Asaph is, but in Chronicles, there's a record of a man named Asaph who led singing in the temple. So you can kind of think of him as Lois for the temple when David was the king. He probably wrote and led psalms as a way to engage the community of Israel in worship and to speak to specific moments and anxieties in their communal life. So we don't know exactly why he wrote Psalm 77 or what was going on, but it seems pretty clear to me that Asaph is reminding God's people of times when they have been in the middle of the road, and they've stretched out their arms to God asking if God would be faithful to the promises made. Asaph doesn't leave them there, though, asking if God has changed God's mind. He reminds them of their own history as a people, because Israel as a community was in between God's promises a lot even from their very beginnings. And so right here in this psalm, Asaph reminds us that if we need to remember the truth of God's faithfulness to us, we need only look to the past. From its very beginning, Israel was built on promises from God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants would be a great nation, as numerous as the stars, chosen and called out by God. And then almost immediately after making those promises, the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt, and spend the next 400 years that way. This is not a great beginning for them. But we all know what happens next because we've watched the Ten Commandments and Prince of Egypt. God, through Moses, leads the people out of Egypt, dramatically parting the Red Sea and carrying them through the waters when all hope seems lost and the Egyptian army is bearing down on them. By the time Asaph is leading songs in the temple, every little Israelite boy and girl would know this story. When Asaph speaks of the trembling waters and a way through the sea, he's reminding them that God plays the long game, but God is faithful in that long game. 400 years was a really long time for Israel to to wait for rescue from slavery, but rescue came even when it looked impossible. I find so much comfort in this reminder. Here in the middle, it's hard to know how things end, but we know that God is faithful to the promises God has made to us. And if we need a little reminder, we only have to look back. We can look to Israel, for whom that same story of rescue played out over and over again on a canvas of centuries, which makes my six months of uncertainty look a little paltry. We can look at the stained glass windows around us that were built in the middle of a war as a promise that more beautiful and peaceful times were coming. And then we got to see that promise fulfilled. We also need only look to our own lives because I'm sure each of us could tell a story of God's faithfulness to us, our families, and our communities. So I don't know what the next six months or so brings for me or for our community here at Riverside, but I know this, that God is steady and true in it. And I hope that at the end, we will tell our tales of God's faithfulness, and we will join our voices with Asaph and with Israel, saying, we will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. You are the God who works wonders, and you have led us, your people, like a flock. What is God up to? 
When I was in distress, the psalmist says in the beginning of the psalm, I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out my hands but would not be comforted. You can almost imagine this poor man's outstretched hands, begging but empty. He's in bad shape. His words tell you so, comfortless, groaning, fainting, sleepless, troubled, remembering better times. Rejection, favorless, failure of unfailing love, failed promises, forgotten mercy. Can you think of any more words for hopelessness? Have these words, these feelings ever described you? They have described me. In our times of great need, when we cry out to God for help and seem to receive none, we often default to the conclusion that God, the Omnipotent One, is not helping us. We think God ought to be able to keep bad things from happening. And if God doesn't, at least God ought to rescue us, to fix it for us. Why doesn't God fix it? After all, if God can't help us out, does God really care? Is God really there? We moan and ask what we did to deserve our condition. We say we're going to trust God, and we try to trust. But as we continue to dwell in the misery day after day with no end in sight, we despair. The plight of this psalmist is all too familiar to me. The past five years of my life began with a spouse walking out on my family and the start of a bitter divorce. They continued with attempts to address my son's feelings of abandonment, to pay the bills, continue to focus at work, handle the college tuition, legal fees, homework, and report cards, the housework and yard, and what seemed like setback after setback, day after day. Nights of worry, anger, heartbreak, prayers pleading with God for help. What is God up to? Why did this happen to me? How much of it was my fault? Am I being punished? Is all this talk about me being a child of God rubbish? I tried to love and trust God most all of my life. I would have done anything to stop my sons from being hurt like this. Why wouldn't God, the perfect father, do the same for me? Beginning with the last half of the psalm, as Bill said, in verse 10, the mood changes. The psalmist decides to move from groaning in his misery to reclaiming the collective memory of his people. He remembers God's outstretched hand. He focuses on God's deeds and miracles. He praises God, recalling the Hebrew redemption story of Passover, remembering the outstretched hand of Moses, empowered by God, who parts the waters and with lightning and earthquake, leads God's people from distress into promise. My response to my distress wasn't like the psalmist. I didn't take comfort in looking back faithfully to a miracle. I knew God granted me two fine sons. I knew I had a good, stable job and a roof over our heads. But I thought of those things as blessings and things I'd worked for, not miracles. And when I did look back, I felt less convinced that God had been in any of it. I didn't see God in the past. 
or in storm or lightning or earthquake. The only storm, lightning, or earthquake I experienced would not have been a miracle, but yet another disaster. But then, at the end of my divorce, two and a half years ago, into my life came Marco. We met for the first time the week my divorce was final. We were with you, Bill, and Jenny, Jenny Brumbach, at a coffee shop here in Five Points, three church members, together with our pastor, to talk about our experiences with divorce. I never met Margot before, and I thought she was quiet and beautiful, and I quickly concluded that she was out of my league. But she was nice, very nice, and we became fast friends. Over a year of friendship, as her divorce wound down to its conclusion, we walked together through each other's pain and daily crisis supporting each other, covering for each other with after-school practices, homework, dentist appointments, and grocery shopping. We confessed to one another our faults and our hurt and anger from our marriages, our worries for our children, cooking and doing laundry together, celebrating Fourth of July at the beach, dyeing Easter eggs, holiday shopping, watching Netflix with the kids, as together we worked to hold our individual budgets and families together. We became best friends. And then it happened. At the end of her divorce, I asked her if she thought our relationship could be more than a friendship. I asked her as I was driving her home on Ortega Boulevard, having just treated her to dinner for her birthday. As I approached the Ortega River Bridge, the crossing arms came down, and the bridge began to go up, as it always seems to do for me. (laughs) We were left in the dark. There in front of the opening bridge, in the pregnant silence of my question, she didn't answer. Instead, she stretched out her hand to stroke the back of my head and scratch my back gently. There, as a little skiff slipped through the open channel, I felt the little miracle of her touch. I felt the stress, hurt, and weariness drain out of me, melt away. I knew right then how much better things would be, and I knew, too, that there was nothing I could do to hold back the romance that would follow. And I realize now that none of it had been brought about by a lightning strike of divine intervention or a quick fix from on high. It was a gradual but nonetheless miraculous friendship and then courtship, and it changed me. Through it, I was slowly brought back to a place of trust, haltingly, but brought back. I was brought out of a head filled with strategies, plans, and worries back into my heart, in one way into my heart for the first time, but brought back again to experience that elemental, grounded love a man and woman can share with one another. And before I knew it, I was laughing again. I hadn't really laughed in years. And now just about any silly thing she said to me or I said to her could start us up, belly laughing earthquake laughing. 
For me, in this experience, as with the psalmist, God's path was through the sea. And so his footprints were unseen. And yet, looking back now, I realized that maybe it was just that I didn't see them. Maybe they were faint. Maybe small. But maybe not that small. For the children of Israel, the waters parted. For me, the Ortega Bridge went up. In Moses' case, maybe it was just a tidal rush in a sea of reeds that the people wanted to make into a miracle. For me, maybe it was the hurry of that schooner to get to its evening cruise, but I wanted to mean something more. We can look at anything, either through eyes of faith and hope, or through eyes that point us to chance and mundane occurrence but it is in the mystery of opening us to faith, the mystery begun in our baptisms, that God works in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. It is in putting us in relationship with one another, in friendship, in community, in a church, letting us hurt and feel, comfort one another, pitch in and get through hard times together that love is strengthened and commitment grown. The mystery of faith gives us eyes to see the mighty spirit at work in the world for good, for hope, for reconciliation, for love. In that mystery, we come to know that the thing we crave most is to be understood and loved. And that mystery is the grounds for believing that understanding and love must be at the center of the universe, the secret of the universe, even. It reminds us, as many of us learned in first grade Sunday school, that God is love. I thought twice about telling you this story because not every story has an easy conclusion or a happy ending. And no story in this life is completely happily ever after. In some stories, I suspect, the little miracles are harder to find. They may be faint or small, but in reflection, maybe they can be found. Maybe God's will to work God's wonders brings light even to the darkest spaces. I thought twice about telling you my story also because maybe it's a little too personal for a Sunday morning among all us buttoned-up Presbyterians. But not really, if you think about it, because God's story with God's people is a romance, too. A story of brokenness and alienation, followed by release, return, joy, and new commitment. It's the story of opportunities to turn around and fall in love with God and God's people again. So, the next time I'll be in this sanctuary will be this Saturday morning. I'll stand right down there with my bride, with our children gathered around us, and we'll promise to love and care for one another faithfully as husband and wives, wife for the rest of our lives. And I'll remember the little miracles 
her fingers across my back while we waited at the bridge, huddling in the cold on the beach at sunrise, homemade ice cream and birthdays with the kids, the smell of her hair, and the joy we found in just getting by. I'll hold her hand and kiss her, and I'll remember that God was there all along, waiting for me to fall in love with her and with him again.